Hear the word of the Lord. You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son, and your son's son, by keeping all of his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you, all the days of your life, that you, your days may be long. Hear, therefore, Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord your God, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk with them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Let us pray. Father, bless this time now. Open our hearts and our minds to see the beauty of your word and the love that you have for us. And Father, we pray now that you uh, would do this. We pray in your son's name. Amen. You may be seated. First of all, before I begin, I want to tell you guys, thank you for um, having me come. It's just a pleasure seeing some friends and to, to join you and uh, to share God's word with you. But uh, for those, just kind of give you a little bit of background information on me. Uh, I've currently been serving at Covenant now for uh, six years, seven years. I'm their youth pastor. Uh, and it's amazing that I have survived this long, as well as the youth. Um, but one of the ways that I think I have been able to survive is that um, I've kind of developed this coping mechanism uh, to avoid awkward and difficult situations. And if you work with teenagers, you kind of have to have a coping mechanism because there's a lot of awkward situations and there's a lot of difficult uh, uh, things you can get into as far as teaching them and training them and, and listening to their heart and dealing with their heart issues. But one of the ways I deal with these difficult situations is I like to tell a joke. Um, and sometimes my jokes um, are not the best as far as encouraging, uh, but they're also kind of lean towards a little bit of, of being on the cheesy side. Um, I, I think Aaron has labeled me officially the, the cheesy dad, the, the speaker of the cheesy dad jokes, and so I'll wear that title uh, proudly. But, uh, but I developed this, this, this ability to tell jokes um, to deal with these situations and over we, at our church in Little Rock, we have a school. It's PCA. It's a classical school. And uh, a lot of the guys on the staff there are kind of come from out of the Reformed Baptist tradition. And so we joke around a lot, especially over infant baptism. Uh, and sometimes the jokes, uh, they're, 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 they're good. I mean, they're not bad in a sense, but they can kind of confuse some of the kids who are in classes. And sometimes the kids will, you know, will pose 
odd faces and say, well, what do you mean, Mr. Kill, when we talk about baptism, you know, making jokes about Baptists and stuff like that. Uh, and so a lot of times I have to go back and talk to the kids and say, and just reaffirm them in their faith and reaffirm them that, you know, as uh, the beauty of being part of the body of Christ, we're diverse, Baptist and Presbyterian and stuff like that. But it kind of got me thinking uh, how often I fail, uh, not only as a teacher in the school, but also in my own home, with uh, seeing these opportunities uh, and, and, and grasping these opportunities as a way of teaching and training them in the doctrines of our faith. You know, as parents, we have a, a huge responsibility, as parents and grandparents and as church members, of, of seizing all the opportunities that we have to teach and to train our kids in the faith. And so as we look at this passage this morning, we're going to look at this, this huge responsibility and see that part of being part of the covenant community, uh, part of being part of the body of Christ, is we take on this huge responsibility of teaching and of training our kids in the doctrines of our faith. We have a huge role in, in teaching them to love Jesus. So if you will, let's look at Deuteronomy 6 this morning. And if... All information you know about Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is kind of, it concludes the Pentateuch. And the Pentateuch is the first five books of the Old Testament. It's also referred to as the Torah, the law, the book of the law. And some scholars even believe that Deuteronomy is one of the most important books in the canon. And there's two reasons for that. One, Deuteronomy kind of serves as an interpretation of the first four books. As well as laying down the groundwork for the work that we're about to see in the, in the prophets. And second, Deuteronomy also, along with Genesis, Psalms, Isaiah, is one of the most is one of the most quoted Old Testament Bibles and one of the most Old Testament scriptures in the New Testament. So two, Deuteronomy is significant because it is a summary of the first four books of the Bible. And second, it is just, it is one of the most quoted. Uh, it has one of the most quoted scriptures in the New Testament. So you see, the message that we're focused on today is Moses is, is kind of telling the people, not only Israel, but us today, uh, this message of faithfulness, this message of responsibility, of love and obedience. And as we dig into this idea of, of covenant faithfulness and covenant responsibility, we come out with a greater appreciation of what God has done, what he has called us to do, and how we are to go about completing his work or, or participating in the work that he's doing in our families. So there's three main points that we're going to talk about this morning. And the first one is this. God commands and we obey. Second, God, the love of God is what drives our obedience. And third is our obedience in action. So let's look at the first one. God commands and we obey. If we were to divide Deuteronomy into Moses' four speeches, our passage this morning would center on the whole, which centers on holiness and obedience, faithfulness and obedience, would follow the opening chapters that start off with Yahweh's faithfulness. In chapters 1 through 4 of Deuteronomy, we see that Moses recounts Israel's history and how Yahweh um, has guided them and delivered them, his people through their trials, their stubbornness, and even their victories. So in other words, Moses wants his people to know and be reminded that God has been faithful to keeping his covenant promises. 
He is faithful to fulfilling what he has said he's going to do. Moses wants the people to know that what Yahweh requires of them in response to what Yahweh has done. We see this, especially in verse 32 of the passage we read, when Moses writes, To do as the Lord your God commands. Verse 33, You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you. In verse 1 of chapter 6, we see that you, may, that you may do them in the land which you are going over. Verse 2, that you may fear the Lord your God, keeping all of his statutes and all of his commandments. commandments. And in verse 3, to be careful to do them, to do the commands that Yahweh has established. So all these terms and phrases that we see throughout Deuteronomy 5, 32 through 6, 9, these commands... They highlight that Israel needs to obey the Lord's commands. Simple, right? We see this in the passage. And if they obey, they live. They thrive. And they're able to go and to possess the land for themselves as well as the generations after them. It's the promise. It's the promise that God made with Abraham, right? We see laid out here in Deuteronomy. If Israel was to continue in a proper relationship with Yahweh, then they must fulfill their side of the covenant agreement. But what's interesting about this, about Yahweh's commands, is that nowhere in this passage do we see God doubling back on his promise. Or that God is going to negate all that he said that he would do when he made that agreement with Abraham. And we do know, as we read the Old Testament, that Israel failed, right? They failed in keeping the commandment, the covenant. They failed in obedient, obeying it, following it, submitting to it. But did God? Did God fail in keeping his side of the covenant? of being faithful to his people? No. He continues to be faithful to what he said he's going to do. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us as the church, as we approach this passage? We're no different from the Israelites, right? Have we failed in submitting to the Lord's commands? Have we failed in obeying what the Lord has said for us to do? Are we quickly to worship our jobs and our careers, our children? Are we so easy, do we easily run after other idols to worship other things? Our favorite college football team? Sorry, Arkansas. I'm a Georgia fan, so that's just bad, right? But do we quickly run out after, after other things as well, as Israel did? Do we try to fit the life of the church into our daily lives instead of fitting our daily lives into the life of the church? Do we kind of see church as just something we do on Sunday? Do we see that the church body is just people that we associate with on Sunday and then we leave and we have no interaction with them throughout the rest of the week? We're just as guilty as Israel, right? In being obedient and following the Lord's commands. 
But does the Lord wipe his hands of us? Does he forsake us? Does he wave his little finger at us and says, I'm done with you? No. He continues to be faithful to us. He continues to uphold us when we fail, when we're weak and we lack the strength to obey. It has, you, it has to, we had to think, why? Why would he continue to uphold us when we fail? And it's easy. Because he loves us. And he gave himself up for us. And his love for us, as we're about to talk about in just a minute, is what drives us to obey. His love for us drives us to want to, to listen to his commands, to sit under his commands, and to follow his commands. But also, whenever we fail to obey, when we fail to live to those commands, his love for us never changes. Because we are in Christ Jesus. So the first point is this. God's love for us, we, we're, God commands us and therefore we obey. The second point is this. The love of God drives us to obey. Look at verses 3 and 6, and we see this laid out here. He says this. Well, here, Moses writes, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. So we take these two verses together with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and all of our might, and, and, and the Lord is one. It emphasizes two things. That our devotion, our allegiance lies with no one or no thing other than the triune God. As one commentator, he puts it like this. He says, he, God, is therefore the sole object of our faith and our obedience. So one, our devotion, our allegiance lies only in the triune God. And two, this verse also echoes the fullness of God's love and devotion for us and to us. Let's discuss this a little bit more. When we are challenged to love God with our heart, and our heart is the seed of our mind, our emotions, with our soul, which is the source of life, it's our vitality, it's our being, and our might, which is our strength, we are called to love God in our fullness, in our entire being. So when we come to him, we do not come to him with a sense of half-heartedness, our sense of partial devotion. I'm going to give the Lord part of my life, half of my life, maybe a little segment or piece of my life, and the rest I'm going to devote to this idol or to this other thing. We come to him in our completeness, in who we fully are, to honor him and to worship him and to obey him. And we're able to love God in our fullness in who we are, because God loved us first in his fullness and in who he is, in all of him. And this is what drives us to obey his commands. You see, when God, the reason why God does not wave his finger at us and condemns us or to wipe his hands of us is that his love for us is not partial, nor is his love for us tied for if we're good today and bad tomorrow. His love is not tied to that. 
His love is tied to us because he is, co- he is faithful to his promises to us. He's a faithful covenantal God, and his love for us never changes. And his love is not divided. His love is not partialed out to this person and to that person. His, when he loves us, he loves us completely in his fullness of who he is. And that is amazing for us as being followers of Jesus Christ is that God's love for us, there's no strings attached to his love for us. And that is beautiful when we fail to obey. But it's also beautiful because it drives us to want to obey. You see, sometimes we have a tendency to see the law, which that's what we're talking about here in the Pentateuch, and its demands first before we see God's faithfulness and his love. That is why a lot of times we ignore the Torah when we do our devotions, right? Because we see it as a, lot of, a list of do's and don'ts. How often do you do your daily devotions in the Old Testament? Most of the time when we do our devotions, we go to the New Testament, Right? And the reason why is because we feel that the New Testament, that's where we talk, Jesus talks about love. Jesus talks about mercy. Jesus talks about grace. And we kind of think that love, mercy, and grace is absent from the old. It's there. It's there. It's beautifully written in the God's word. And then sometimes we reverse the order of how God relates to his people. By placing obedience first. We have to earn or gain God's love instead of first seeing that God's commands for us flow out of his love for us. For a long time, I was caught in that. It kind of warped my understanding of what love and obedience and how they should go together. And I kind of had a, a, I kind of had a rather odd childhood. My parents divorced when I was about three. I kind of had a partial, part-time relationship with my father. We would go see him on the weekends. My mom remarried. And the guy that she married to, he kind of stepped into my life as the father figure. He actually got us involved in the church. And so I'm forever grateful for that. I was an obedient son. I did as my parents wanted me to do. Uh, obedient on the outside, but still there was sin there. I would always do my sins in secret. Um, it's kind of funny because I kind of see that in my, my kids sometimes. Um, and it's funny because I was aware of that growing up, and now I'm aware of it in my kids. And so it's, it's beautiful to see how God can prepare me for that. Um, I just dread the teenage stage already. But a lot of the sins I did do, I did in secret. I never really wanted to get in trouble. But when I moved off to college, and the college I went to was only 45 minutes away, um, I met Aaron, and everything seemed to change. I remember talking one time to my mom on the phone, and I was hanging up, and I remember the last, the last phrase that came out of my mouth was, I love you. It's a very common thing to do, right? Most traditional, everyday American families, or 
every family, I would say, would, would say to their parents that I love you. But when I went home the following weekend, because I was one of those college students that didn't know how to wash clothes or cook, my mom kind of sat me down at the dinner table and she said, I want to kind of have a conversation with you. I was like, sure, what's this about? Hopefully they would give me some money, because I'm a college kid, I'm poor. But she said, um, when you called me last week, you ended the conversation, you said, I love you. And I kind of want to know what's gotten into you. I was like, what do you mean? I, I, I really do love you, Mom. And then she started telling me, you know, you've, you've never actually told me that before. You never actually told me that you loved me. And then she proceeded to say over and over again that she thinks that uh, Aaron has changed me, uh, that Aaron was making me soft. Um, but the afternoon is a great opportunity because we got to sit down and we kind of got to flesh this whole issue out. And it came up to, and the conversation led to how my, my mother was raised. Uh, she never heard her dad tell her that he loved her. And so in response, she never told him that she loved him. And so it's kind of a generational thing. And so it's interesting because, you know, just a random conversation of I love you brought out so much of my own heart feelings to this conversation, my heart issues. Because I started to see that I spent a large portion of my early life being obedient to my parents out of a way of trying to earn their love. If I obeyed my mom and dad, maybe they would tell me they would love me, that they loved me. I did well in school to make them happy because I wanted them to tell me that they loved me. I heard they ever got in trouble. I did things in secret and in quiet, you know, behind the scenes. And I, I did that as a way to get their attention, not only because I, have, I also have heart issues, but to get their attention because I wanted them to tell me that they loved me. And it took a simple conversation over the phone for me to tell my mom that I love her. For us to get all of these issues out. I realized that I labored to be the obedient son, to be the obedient student, because I wanted people to tell me that they loved me. How often do we do that in our relationship to God? How often do we labor and to strive to be obedient. we got to be obedient because we feel that if we, if we obey, if we're committed, if we do this, 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 this is our time, God's going to love us more. Or he's going to tell us that he loves us. But as we look in this passage, and as we look all throughout God's word, his love for us is what drives us to want to obey. It is not our obedience and our works and our good things that drives him to love us. It's his love for us that drives us to want to obey his commands.
Third point is this. Obedience produces action. It's already been stated that we obey out of our love for God. But part of our obedience that we see in this passage is that we're called to model obedience in our family unit, as well as in our daily lives. Moses writes this. He says, You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk to them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and on frontlets between the post of your house and of your gates. So in other words, God's word, what we're teaching, what we're examining here, is to be diligently taught and lived out in our family unit, in our lives. This passage makes clear that Scripture should be central in all aspects of our life. Scripture over and over and over again brings to light the role, the significant role that the family plays in teaching and training future generations. As one commentator puts like this, the knowledge of election, of the covenant and its demands of redemption is to be passed on within families from generation to generation. Look at verse 2. Why? That you may fear the Lord your God. But not only that you may fear the Lord your God, but your sons and your sons may fear the Lord your God by keeping his statutes and commandments. Fathers and mothers, listen to me. Since the Lord has given you the precious gift of children, grandparents too, you play a significant role in teaching and training your children in Scripture as well as the doctrines of our faith. You play a significant role. You play a vital, important role for them. Listen to this statistic. Your home is the number one influence in your child. The average church has a child 1% of his or her time. The home has him 83% of his time. And the school for the remaining 16%. Now, if you're homeschooled, that's different, obviously. But you have your kids 83% of their time their life take advantage of that opportunity to teach them to train them in the doctrines of our faith and to teach them God's word but it's not just the parents that play a role grandparents play the role as well adults and uncles we need to strive to take advantage of every opportunity to give the future gen- or to tell the future generations about Jesus And we do this, right? Through family devotions, through conversations around the dinner table, on rides to and from church. We need to see these opportunities as a way to show our kids Jesus, to tell our kids about Jesus. Do not let Trump trump the conversation at the dinner table, but instead let Jesus be the center of the conversation. You know, I'm a big advocate of family dinners. I know they're chaotic. I know they're crazy. I have three kids. Uh, my wife is always the last one finished at the dinner table because she's having to tend to the others. I want milk. 
I want second helpings. I want third helpings. I want this. And it's chaotic to have a conversation about Jesus. But try to take those small moments that you have with your kids and tell them about Jesus. It's important. It's vital. Family devotions are the same way. You always have this one kid that's there answering all the questions, and it's great. But then you have the other two that are bouncing from couch to couch. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a zoo sometimes. But see that as a great opportunity to tell your kids about Jesus. But not only do the, the, do the families play an important role in teaching and in training their kids and to tell them of God's love, but you as a church, you play a significant role in that as well. You come along and you assist the families. You help them. You provide nursery to them. You teach them Sunday school. That's one of the beautiful things about being Presbyterian is that we place a huge emphasis on the family and the covenant and the purposes that we have as a community to come alongside and to assist and to train our parents. 1 Corinthians 12 speaks of this when Paul talks about spiritual gifts, how those gifts are to be used to benefit the body of Christ. Every single one of you here has been gifted with a gift, a spiritual gift. That gift is to be used to bless this church to come alongside, to assist the families, to help them. When we have baby baptisms, you know, we take a vow, right? One of the vows, do you as a congregation undertake the responsibility of assisting the parents and the Christian nurture this child? And most of the time you agree to this, right? A covenant, we raise a hand. The church in Birmingham that we're part of, we actually ask the congregation to stand up. Why? Because you are agreeing to come alongside to be there for the, for the parents and to teach and to train their kids in the doctrines of their faith. It's an important role. It's an important responsibility not only that the parents have, but that you have as a congregation. Teach them Sunday school, vacation Bible school, children's church. You bring them under the preaching of the word. They sit and listen to the word being preached. You see the Lord's Supper. They get to see uh, the gospel presented in the Lord's Supper. It's a beautiful demonstration of the gospel the Lord's Supper is. Even down to changing the dirty diapers in the nursery or reading books to them as they run around and snots is coming out of their nose. Or you're providing meals to families who are ill or, or moms who are pregnant. These are just, this is a small list of ways that you as the body of Christ, or you come along and you assist in the spiritual formation of families. When we take the vow to come alongside and help families, it's not a vow that we should take lightly. 
It does not end when the child reaches adulthood, nor does it have an expiration date or a retirement date for those who are serving. When you raise your hand, when you see a child baptized, and you raise your hand and you're committing to help that family, you're committing to help that family for as long as that family is here in this congregation. To when they're a baby, to whenever they are about to go see Jesus. You're committing to, to minister to that family. It's a lifelong commitment. And we do this for future generations. As long as people come through those doors, we play a role in teaching them and training them and helping them come to know Jesus. So parents, you play a vital role in teaching and training your kids in the faith. Church body, let me encourage you. You play that, such a vital role as well. Do not take that responsibility lightly. So as we look back at Deuteronomy 5, 32 through 6, 9, we can, if we're not careful, can easily come away with a sense of disappointment or we can come away being discouraged. Maybe some of you just today are, are disappointed because you realize you can't live up to God's standard. You can't obey His commands. You look at the Old Testament, you look at the Torah, you look at the law, and all you see is a list of commands. You see the law laid out, and you're like, man, I can't do this. Or maybe you look at this, and you think, man, family devotions? I can't do that. I struggle with my own personal devotions. How am I expected to communicate the gospel to my family? I struggle in communicating the gospel to them. I mean, we can come away. We can be discouraged by this. Or maybe some of you today are just upset at life altogether. You can't obey. You can't be the perfect family. You can't be the perfect grandparents. You can't be the perfect aunt or uncle. But let me encourage you with this. Wherever you are this morning, run to Jesus. If you struggle with this whole obedience and love, what comes first? Obey. Do I obey to get God to love me first? Or do, I, do I rest in God's love for me and, and that draws me to obey? If you struggle with that, run to Jesus. If you struggle with teaching and training your kids the, the, the very things of Scripture, the gospel, run to Jesus. If you struggle with, with, just, with just sin as all together, you just Beat down by the demands of this world. Run to Jesus. You will never obey God perfectly. But Jesus did. For you. You will never be a perfect parent. You will never be a perfect grandparent. You will never be a perfect aunt or uncle. But Jesus has promised us that his grace is sufficient. And his power is made perfect in our weakness. It is given that all of our lives will be filled with ups and downs. We're going to have mountaintop experience and we're going to have valleys. But Jesus tells us in his word to take his yoke upon him and cast our yoke upon him and learn from him. 
is gentle and lowly. And in him we can find rest for our weary souls. So you struggle with obeying, run to Jesus. You struggle with being a perfect parent, run to Jesus. You struggle in the fallen world with your sin, and you just need a way out, run to Jesus. Because he has promised us if we cast ourselves on him, we can rest in him. Amen? Let us pray. Father, so many times we reverse the order of how things go. And we seek to obey. And out of that obedience, we think that, well, that would draw us to love you or that would draw you to love us, Father. But help us see that your love for us drives us to want to obey. And Father, as we struggle with taking this concept and just struggling with it in our own lives, and Lord, we also struggle with sharing it with our kids and with our family. Father, help us. Help us, Father. Give us the grace to always run to you when we struggle with being and living this life that you've called us to live. Help us to cast all of our concerns and our cares onto you. Help us to rest in you. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.